0: Hey there! Welcome to SaaS Unbound brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. Here with me today is Maurice Dossinger, seasoned entrepreneur who bootstrapped three startups from zero to exit, and is now co-founder and CEO at Refiner, a customer feedback a solution for digital product companies, helping founders and product marketers get better and more actionable feedback from their customers. Super exciting to talk with you. I mean, everyone cool. says you'd be the perfect guest for us, and... I can see why, so welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Anna. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Happy to be here. And um, great intro. I think you already did the (laughs) the pitch of Refiner quite well, Um, (laughs) so there's nothing more to talk about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I butter up my way in and then, you know, I ask all the questions I want. (laughs) Cool. Nice. But um, yeah, it would be great to, you know, to get a bit of a background because, well, sure. this is the fourth venture that you're building, yeah. right? What is your background? How did you get to it?
1: Yeah, cool. So, yeah, I started my career as an engineer or a developer. Like My studies were engineering, but really right after the um, studies, I went into IT and development because it was something I always liked to do and I am still like doing it as much as I can. Um, and yeah after uni i started a first company in in france um which went quite well but not to a point that we could live from it so there was some kind of equity hire and that was my Mm. first um uh, adventure in entrepreneurship and this is what brought me then to paris and um so since then i'm having my career in paris and i as you mentioned i bootstrapped um two more uh, SaaS companies before, and today I'm the founder of um, Refiner, and as you already mentioned, Refiner is a customer feedback tool for uh, SaaS and mobile apps, um, which allows our customers to um, get actionable and very precise feedback from their users, and um, I guess we will talk a little bit more in detail about how Refiner is structured, but it's not a Typical startup in the sense of raising a lot of money and going as big as possible. We are a super tiny team. Uh, We are profitable uh, and we want to keep it that way.
0: Okay. Awesome. All right. I I can see that you've never pitched it. So (laughs) Uh, you bootstrapping, right? (laughs) But, um, and this is something that uh, we always touch upon when, you know, it's a serial entrepreneur here. Uh, Does it get easier? it's the fourth venture uh no not at out? all <laughs>
1: no actually that was um yeah if you touch on this already uh so when i uh, started refiner that was in 2018 i just sold my previous company and i had an earnout agreement where i was working less and less and less and so i had the time and the um yeah the, basically the time to start something new and i was convinced that I figured it out. Like for me, it was like, oh, cool. I just need to build another SaaS, right? It's so easy. Yeah, it's I built factory. it two times, three times. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of like, so this could become my model. I'm building SaaS companies and then I'm selling them and I'm just doing it over and over again. Well, reality was different. Um, it took me one and a half years uh, of building something nobody wanted and nobody cared about except for me. Didn't, and I built. I did a lot of mistakes. I built a product which was, first of all, not a good fit for the market. And then secondly, uh, not a good fit for myself as a founder. And so basically, I did a lot of uh, mistakes um, first time founder would do. And I did them even though I did it the fourth time. So I don't think it gets easier at all. Uh, starting something from scratch is the for me, the most difficult part. So once you have something going, once once you have, uh, let's let's say, once you're touching a couple of thousands of MRR, then it's more about executing, um, applying techniques and and yeah, I mean, I guess this kind of stuff you can it's, it's more re- reproducible. You can learn it in a way, but getting from zero to somewhere that's um, stays kind of black magic for me and uh it's, about, it's a lot about trying and trying in error and um iterating so yeah to answer your question though i don't think it's getting easier and even you know even the execution part once you have something uh which makes maybe 1000 of MRR, um then with every venture you are uh first of all maybe wanna do it better and bigger so you have bigger budgets you have um, you're outsourcing more or like you have more means to to make it work. And that also has the danger that you can quickly burn a lot of money. And um, because you're convinced that, I mean, you you think it worked last time, so it should work now and you're just doing it. But maybe in the meantime, the market changed or your new product is completely different than the one before. So um, even I think in the execution phase later on, um, it's not guaranteed that, it's easier then for sure there are some things i can avoid today which i mm-hmm. a couple of mistakes i made in the past and these ones i can avoid and not try it. i try to not make them again but yeah what are they? I, um a lot about um i think you know like for example my last uh product was called doc parser it was a mm-hmm. data processing solution which uh technically speaking could be used for all kinds of data extraction problems so basically you give the, the solution a pdf document and uh it, it's making it's uh, processing and then you get data back and um you could use it a in, like a scraper exactly like a scraper like a web scraper but for pdf documents and it took me quite a long time to realize, okay, while technically you can do all kind of things with it, there's just some very specific need, for example, when it comes to processing invoices or financial documents, uh, which would make sense for the user because it's recurring documents every day. And so they need to process something every day. And which would also make sense for me as a company, because these customers have a daily need and they are coming back and they stay with their um uh, they stay with the, with us. Um, th- but then there are other use cases where people come in and have very complex requirements, but want to uh, do it just once and also actually don't have a budget for it. Hmm. You know, like um, I don't know, hobbyists or sometimes also researchers and journalists. And in the beginning I tried to cater to all of them and uh, it took me a while to realize i need to niche down on the product but also on the marketing and um this is something for example i try to avoid with refiner because it's basically the same problem i was facing refiner is you could say it's a survey solution and surveys can be used for anything you know like it could be in school it could be a teacher it could be a student, a startup, a scale up, everybody's in need of surveys, right? And so instead of trying to cater to all of them, I was, because of my previous um, experience, able to quicker niche down and try to carve out something specific in the market, which where I'm really good at. And um, yeah, that was just one example of where I would say my previous experience is helping me today
0: right so learning how to say no to market but that i think for yeah. a lot of founders especially first-time founders it creates such a fomo that like you want to say no because kind of something else works better yeah. but you're afraid that if you say no to this guys you know someone else will figure them out and you know start earning from from that channel
1: it's a really really common problem i was just talking about it uh, yesterday with a friend um there's such a as you said, FOMO of um, for, for when it comes to niching down, and um, well, I, I, fi- I feel like especially as a small company or as a bootstrap company, you have this unique position that you can actually niche down, and it's, the market will be, still be big enough for you. That's not something um, right. a scale up can do. They they need to be really broad. They need to get uh, uh, their revenue up, but as a small team that is just starting out. Um, I feel like the answer to a lot of problems is niching down and um, because then it makes it easier to develop a, a more lean product. It, it makes it easier to make uh, marketing, which is more targeted. Um, and then when it comes to FOMO, I mean, you can still change it, right? You can give it a try three months, uh, build a landing page, try if there's a market. If it's not it's not the end of your startup, you can still pivot to another niche and um also one thing um one technique there could be that you uh when you're not sure on which niche you want to go uh yeah make it make it a test like build three different landing pages Mm -hmm. make three uh, ad campaigns and then and see what sticks right it doesn't mean that you need to stop your current uh um, business right you can just like on the side try to find niches which are perform really well
0: right but niching down is also i guess uh, a bit about being realistic uh about what you can build or, or what you can perform right yeah. and, and how you position yourself in the market because yeah. if you like you said if you're trying to cater to everyone you know something's gonna slip <laughs> yeah
1: exactly that's it
0: all right so uh you're also doing it um with a very tiny team. And I know that mm-hmm. uh, you have just the core team to do, especially everything that, that comes uh, to development, because you still uh, position yourself as a rather technical uh, product, right? Yeah. But then you um, you rely on freelancers when it comes to, to marketing and uh, something else, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess my question is, um, a lot of founders, especially from from bootstrap, startups, they want to rely on freelancers, but at the same time, there is another fear of how do we hire somebody and how do we give somebody um, power to, to write something about the product or to, to uh, help us with positioning when they're not fully immersed in the company mm. in the culture mm. you know in what we're building so um how do you deal with that? how do you make sure that you know people that are not working for you full time still understand the product
1: yeah 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 that's a uh, very good point and uh, I mean, first of all, like uh, the question of whether you want to have a core team or a freelancer, I think every founder needs to answer that for themselves. Like what works for me doesn't work for others. And it's really also about how you want to work every day. And um, so for me, I was uh, in the lucky position that I could build the initial product myself. So I was just developing what I like doing. And then I started uh, developing it. And so I could go to a point where I would find the first customers and uh, have a product running all by myself. And um, so I figured, why not? Why shouldn't I do that? Right. And um, then the first uh, thought about outsourcing for me was also that I can. There are some tasks, for example, uh, SEO and sales and, uh, also like marketing, uh, related things like, uh, um, competitor research or copywriting and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. There's just so many people out there who are so good at it that I would have really a hard time finding somebody I can hire. Who can be as good in copywriting as they are in setting up ads, as they are in like a lot of other things, right? because like each of those tasks, I don't have enough work for a full-time position. Right. And I don't have the means as well. I cannot hire one guy who's just doing copywriting. That That's not something I can do. Yeah. So, um, working with freelancers early on allowed me to get really the, the top, uh, quality of profiles, um, for very specific tasks and for example, in the beginning, that was um, when we were repositioning refiner, I was working with a friend who is basically specialized in all kinds of positioning things for SaaS. Mm-hmm. So he's really good at it and uh, he's much better than I am. And so I'm relying on on him on this. And as he's working in SaaS, um, I actually thought he understands our product really well, Much actually much, not much better, but at that point, better than I was because he was having this global view on the market and then was not that much in it. Like I was, and because, especially because I'm a technical profile, I'm thinking a lot in product terms like, oh, you can do this and this, and I can develop this and it would look nice if it would do this and that. And he came with a completely different set of eyes in it and, uh, uh, on it, and, um, looked at the market in a more global scale. So, I actually thought it was an advantage that he's not part of the core team that he's from the outside um and but when it, for example when it comes to product development, that's a real issue like there's i think nobody understands the product vision better than the core team that that's just impossible to, it's something i mean it's also it's not the task of a developer to to um come up with uh, specs, right? That that's something you as a founder, you have a vision and you have the customer feedback and you try to merge your, or you try to make sense of, uh, um, of your vision, product vision as a founder and what you hear from your customers. And then you merge them two together and try to figure out what's the best way going forward. And, uh, this is typically a task you cannot outsource. So that's, um, um, I think that's the thing i I want to say like there are tasks you can outsource there are some you can't and uh, again luckily enough i had the product um, expertise uh, on me and uh, that's why i could go pretty far with the freelance uh, model
0: looking for new ways to find customers for your saas business consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage and scale for sales companies. Lock your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay. All right. So you're wearing many hats still, uh, because it's such a tiny team, right? Okay. So, um, okay. So can you maybe walk me through, um, how you're working with freelancer? Because, uh, in my, in my head, it's just so much time every time you need something, um, especially in, if, you're not just working with one freelancer, right? Mm -hmm. Hiring the same person over and over again when you need some content. Uh, But if you work with with different freelancers, every time you have to walk them through what you're doing, what your uh, values are, what your market is. Um, Mm. So how do you structure this work? How do you make sure, you know, you're not burned out by this?
1: Yeah. So uh, all of them are working with me since years. So there's no, it basically is more like a contractor, um, long term contractor, and um, they all have two or three clients and uh, they all appreciate having long term contract or long term clients. And I appreciate having uh, these long term relationships. So there's, for example, One person, Pavel, uh, from smashing copy, who is uh, doing all SEO related, uh, blog related things. And we are working together since three years and it's, uh, on a retainer basis. So it's stable for him. It's stable for me. Then I have, uh, my colleague Flory here in Paris, who is in inside sales and the same, she's, um, on a retainer and, uh, on a commission for closed deals, but we are working together also for nearly three years. Same with Nicola, who's doing marketing strategy. So basically it's, if I say freelancers, it's not, it's not, there are some topics, um, for example, redesigning the website where it's, mm-hmm. it's a short project of a couple of months. Uh, but usually that's, um, not the case. Usually I'm, I'm right. working with them for a longer time. Yeah. Be- okay. It's not like
0: you're going on Fiverr every month.
1: No, 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 no. no. Okay. These are, well, you know, the, the way it is today, um, I feel like uh, we are outgrowing this model a little bit. So until now, it was, you need to imagine me in the middle. And then I'm communicating with all um, yeah, uh, departments, let's say, like mm-hmm. this, the marketing, the development, and so on. And uh, it worked quite well until now. But I feel like the next step has to be, um, having more people uh full-time on the project for for example customer support i feel like um, this is typically something where we would benefit if this is a person who can identify with the product who is really eager to make uh yeah first of all to understand the entire product and um yeah provide a customer support which is on the level we want to have it and um so this i wouldn't outsource to any, anyone like I would like to have it in-house yeah. and, um, and you know, like the other freelancers, when it comes to managing them, I was always like, as I, said, as I mentioned before, like I'm working with those freelancers because then I can, then I'm able to have the best ones. And, mm-hmm. uh, so ideally, for example, in the case of the SEO, um, a colleague it's, it's, he's telling me what to do. It's not the other okay. way around yeah and uh same uh, for the sales uh person and the marketing strategy um i wouldn't i you know like i'm, I'm working on my own company because uh and, and on this model of having a small team because i'm not really seeing myself micromanaging people so i, I want to avoid that and i can avoid that by working with people who are super experienced and um yeah, it's also again. a very
0: interesting mindset, right? Not, not a lot of founders would would uh, allow somebody, like you said, to tell them what to do.
1: Well, right? not tell me to, do, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, we are, we are double checking, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. If, if I have the feeling that's weird what he's saying, then no. I mean, I'm still a client, <laughs> but, um, but uh, no, I see it like I'm buying expertise, right? And yeah. it's that's the the mindset, right? Right, right.
0: So it's also kind of like having an advisor mm-hmm. on the matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not not just, not just a, a freelancer.
1: Which is also a very um, interesting topic. You know, like there are lots of consultants who produce a lot of ideas and they make huge marketing plans and then it's super sophisticated. But, you know, the reality is like in most cases, I guess, to go, let's say, from zero to one million ARR, well, you should basically, first of all, make sure you do the basics, right? In terms of marketing, you should be uh, having campaigns running, you should have uh, content, you should, you know, and then you can maybe think about super sophisticated things. But what I want to say is like, there's a lot of value in execution and, you know, producing ideas that not everybody can produce ideas, but it's, it's easy to produce, produce ideas to, to make a huge, uh, sophisticated marketing plan, which might work or not might work. But for me as a small team, the value is in the execution. And okay. this is also super important for me when I work with freelancers, uh, no matter which freelancers I want to have an asset later, I want to have a product, uh, like be it, on, be it on a blog article. Uh, a closed deal, um, a strategy document or whatever. I, I want to have it produced and not just like, okay, I give you 10 ideas and somebody will do it
0: yeah. one day. Yeah, yeah. Right? Not, mm. not, not just an advisor, but also someone who can mm. who can implement it. I remember um, to this day, I don't know, that was one of the best advice I've ever gotten. Uh, it was from, from a marketing teacher, uh, he said, uh, and we were working on some project back then uh, at the university and he said, well, you know, you've got great ideas, uh, but I get like a thousand ideas just sitting on my toilet every day. You know, <laughs> but then if I flush them later, you know, no one's going to see yeah. them. So I it, go and no, execute. Yeah, them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely, it's, it's really, different. you know, especially in marketing, there's so many consultants who tell you it's so easy. You need to do this and this and this and sometimes it's people who never did it actually so there it's it's a theory right and um, it's good to have a good theory but it's worth nothing if there is no execution behind it so yeah, yeah i'm 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 really much into you know also on the on the entrepreneurial journey i wasn't sure i'm doing innovative products i i like innovation and i'm trying to be as innovative as possible but i'm also trying to not Uh, um, how to say it Uh, uh, I'm having it in French but not in English like uh, (laughs) reinvent the wheel all the time and um, it's a lot about just building stuff which is good you know and uh, then you maybe might be able to add a touch of innovation on top of it and something a nice twist to it and uh, this will make you different than the others but I would say 95% of it is just doing what works and do it good and then right. yeah, not to not get too upset and uh, not to get too stuck with a uh, crazy innovative ideas, which might right. never work. At the
0: yeah. end of the day, your, your clients just want the work done, right? Yeah, they done. want a good,
1: uh, they want to find us and they want to have a good product and uh, if they find us and the product is good, then our job is half done or more than half done. Yeah.
0: True. Okay. And, uh, I want to, I want to ask about the fact that you are keeping your product still very technical mm-hmm. and, uh, with the whole like low code, no code, um, coming to, to all industries out there. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you still want to do that? Why not, uh, like give non-technical people just an opportunity to build something that they mm-hmm. would just, you know, click and not involve developers in.
1: It was, um, I could say it was a strategy okay. <laughs> or like a crazy good idea. No, it just came organically that the way I'm building products and that I, I don't know, I, I found like I can, uh, build a quite um, powerful product, but still make it kind of easy to use. That, that was kind of my, my. What I what I like doing always, like back in the days when with other startups, it was the same. It was quite powerful, quite technical, but people uh, came to me and said, "Well, it's so it's it's still easy to use." And so this was for me my kind of um, uh, niche in the product development space, where I would say apparently that's something I can do. Uh, so from from the feedback I'm getting, um, so I was not scared about that. I was more uh, like. Maybe there's an opportunity in creating a customer feedback survey solution, which is a little bit more powerful than what's on the market mm-hmm. and still not as crazy as the enterprise solutions which are out there, which take months to, to set up. And right. um, also by uh, niching down on a specific type of customer and on a, um, a couple of specific use cases, I feel like the complexity was still manageable
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, then again as a, as a small company I can basically niche down in our case it's SaaS companies and uh, mobile apps with locked-in users that's what we are focusing on and other bigger um, competitors they don't want to or cannot niche down so they need to um, address a much broader market and then their produ- product either needs to be very shallow and simple because, um, well, if you go on a broad market and you want to add features for every single niche on the market, it just becomes super complex. So basically, by addressing a big market, they have a problem which we don't have. Um, So they either need to be very simple in the product or they will build a crazy complex product. And when we go on a niche and we say we Go just after those people and um, we provide a software which is made for them and goes uh, further and and, um, responds to their needs we can have a product which is powerful and a little bit complex but not too much it will still be a it will still feel like an easy product and um, again so we, we are playing our advantage of being a small company uh, doing one thing and we do this one thing really good and then you could argue that's my German heritage because in Germany <laughs> there are there are tons of companies who are a world leader in building screws and they just do yeah. screws but they are world leader in doing this and uh it, I think it was always very fascinating to me to say well uh instead of doing hundreds of things uh mediocre um I'm not sure if this is an English word, like uh, yeah, yeah. average. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I prefer the idea to say we, 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 we focus on one thing and we do it on world-class level, right. hopefully it's one day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. all the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because of that, because you're doubling down on a on, uh, technical aspect of, of the product, you're also... Mm-hmm. Um, work a lot on documentation. Like you said, you're, yeah. you're trying to make sure it's easy enough to implement and, and to yeah. understand how to work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was something uh, which uh, which I really liked back then when Stripe was starting. So their documentation was just way, way, way better than all the documentation uh, of, of, the, of other payment providers. And well... I thought if we have a good documentation, it will first of all serve us as a team because um, there will be maybe less support, there will be maybe less, um, or we can do faster the support because for every um, little problem, we can send a, a support article. So it was a little bit a selfish idea to make a good documentation. But then also, um, I feel like it, it really fits to the product we are offering. So yes, there are many ways you can use refinery. There are many different ways you can set it up. So take your time, read the documentation, and let. And we want to guide our users in, in exploring from simple use cases to more complex use cases. And um, it kind of felt also like, a, yeah, like a promise we want to keep. You know, we want to have a nice looking website Mm -hmm. we also want to have a nice looking app uh, because there are a lot of companies out there which have super nice websites and then you create an account and the app just looks really bad so we try to get the user experience right from the website to the uh, SaaS application and as an extension of that also to the documentation and um, it's just like we don't want to have a moment where a user is disappointed by uh, like having it just too big difference between what we are advertising and then what we are delivering later and yeah documentation is part of that and it serves us quite well and we put a lot of i mean not a lot but uh it was still uh, not uh, something like okay let's just create a couple of support articles and let's see it was more like uh, okay we we took Time and it's evolving all the time, right? I mean, the, the, the documentation is a living part of the app. With every new feature, you are uh, adding another page, and we're also having a change log where, whenever we develop something new, there's a little tiny article talking about what's new. And these things are also linked in the app, like on the dashboard of the app, you have a little section where we list the latest features, and um, yeah, just made sense to us do it that way
0: it does sound like it would really appeal to more technical people like what mm. you were saying about the documentations and the logs and all that but uh, it's it's great that you also mentioned customer support because again you're a tiny team right mm. so how do you deal with it because um i wanted to try i wanted to try it first and go and and see how how it's done uh but unfortunately i didn't have the time mm. but uh do you have? Is it somehow automated, right? Do you, I don't know. Maybe you've got some AI thing going. You know, when, when mm-hmm. like um, Baptismen from from Crisp said, yeah. if it's a dumb question, you know, you can figure it out. You can just go and mm-hmm. like <laughs> log yeah. into the FAQ and do it yourself. But uh, what if there is a complex question, or like how how do you deal with the the customers because there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm
1: yeah uh, actually so these days we get mostly uh complex questions <laughs> so the the idea is that the the, the user can create their account uh, get set up by their on their own reading the documentation and there are maybe half of them who just do that like one day they sign up and i never talk to those uh, um, people okay. Um, but then there are others, and um, the, the issue also with refiner is we have maybe a non-technical person who wants to impl- have it implemented, and it's their uh, job to look for a customer feedback solution. They come to a refiner, they like it, but then at a certain point, they need help of a developer to actually install our um, code into their app. And so we have at least uh, already two people. Uh, sometimes it's the same person, but most of the time it's not and on top of that on the bigger accounts uh you have legal you have uh, the security issues and so the bigger the customer the more people we are dealing with and the more complex also the the setup is because these people they are uh, they are coming to Refiner for a reason because they want to have a solution which is adaptable which which you can customize and so on and um there's not many questions, uh, simple questions around like, uh, well, what kind of question should I ask, or uh, should I rather set it up this way, the survey, or this way? It's more about technical implementation and really like uh, specifics. And um, then again, I see it as a good sign that apparently the app is clear enough and the documentation is clear enough so that we don't get that many simple questions actually it's Hmm. more like the advanced stuff and i also feel like it's an opportunity for us because if people are that much in the process where they want to install our script and they are asking very specific questions about it i kind of feel like they are really motivated to do it right they are they are it's for sure there's a Chance that they will not upgrade, but there's a very high probability that they will. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk uh, complex stuff on the, okay. on the support channel. Yeah. All
0: right, so you still do it yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot. A lot. At the moment, I'm feel like I spent the last months uh, in HubSpot, and um, you are the support. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, not doing others like. If, yeah, as I said before, I think we are outgrowing our system and it's like I'm spending my days uh, uh, on support and paying invoices and um, not doing the stuff I should do, do more like okay. strategy thinking and whatever. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in HubSpot at the moment.
0: Interesting. It's also uh, very interesting because uh, like yesterday I had to have uh, an episode with Josh Hainem from Interact, which is okay. also... Yeah. Uh, co- I guess a competitor in some way, but no, not really. Well, I would, anyway. check. No. Okay. I can see just the differences of like how you're doing stuff. So you're more technical and they are more non-technical and mm. that the difference in your marketing strategies, like you're doubling down on documentations and like the, uh, difficult questions and they're talking about, um, things like how uh to make a better survey like what questions to ask like Mm. simpler questions so more oriented to i don't know we do that we do that on the
1: blog um yeah we do that on the blog um but uh usually the type of like in the beginning we were targeting um startups Mm -hmm. but we quickly realized that for the type of product we are offering um you need to have either a lot of users or a team which is uh, so big that opinions don't count that much anymore and you want to have data to prove something, right? So either of those conditions should be met uh, so that we can say, this is a customer who will get actually a lot of value from our uh, solution. So um, by definition, these customers are more advanced in their journey and then they come to us especially because they they know that they want to have a survey tool they know what kind of service they want to uh, run and they're looking for a survey tool which can um, respond to their specific setup needs and this is where we also uh, differ from maybe other solutions which uh, advertise a one-click solution which is fine if you're getting started and you want to have a template i mean we have templates as well but you want to have a one-click solution but our ideal customer is more like someone having uh, thousands or if not up to millions of users and um, they are having a dedicated project running for this kind of uh, survey um, endeavor and they are advanced to a point that we don't need to teach them about what is an NPS or what is a CSET. We do that on the blog to attract um, new customers because people are for sure still searching for it but uh once they are creating the account it's very rare that we need to explain them oh look uh this is an nps survey and this is a cset survey and uh you can use it for this or for that um it might happen but it's not the majority of the case the majority of the cases is like we want to have a nps solution which can also do product surveys, and maybe also CSAT, and it has to be in-app, on mobile, and on, on SaaS web. And then they look around, and then they find us and tell us that's exactly what we need. Okay. so, the, so it the, It's like, the ideal sorry <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, that's perfect. It looks like you've really narrowed down your... Uh, your target market and you're very clear mm. on your positioning so can you maybe share a hack or two as many as you can really <laughs> to uh, yeah to basically um, do your positioning to to make it right
1: yeah so it's um, in our case very like it came from a technical point as well where we for example had really early on uh, integration with Segment which is a customer data platform and and um, we did the, segment, uh, the integration with Segment in a two-way data sync, and it was quite advanced compared to competitors. And because we had that, we saw that the people who are the most happy with Refiner are very techy marketer uh, who already have a lot of customer data and they want to build... Uh, cohorts with it, and they want to survey just a specific group of users and very advanced. And it was basically, um, I don't know if it's a chicken-egg problem, but but because we had this kind of integration, this kind of product, we thought, uh, okay, well, apparently we're attracting this kind of customers and it makes a lot of sense. They're getting a lot of value out of it. Yeah. And then uh, we looked also at the market and most competitors were very, very broad, very unspecific, they might have the same kind of product, but they were basically telling we do surveys for everybody. Uh, and then it was some kind of uh, opportunistic thinking saying, okay, we have this kind of product, we have the market, and then why don't we just focus on this kind of niche? And it seems to be underserved and uh, our product is responding very well to it. And that's the hack. That's, that's, there's nothing more to it, right? I mean,
0: Okay. All right. No, it's great. I mean, um uh, uh, like like we said before, it's very difficult to sometimes uh niche down, especially mm-hmm. in a saturated market. You you feel like oh, there is, you know, there is so many people and there is so much cash to to bag. So I want it all, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe the um yeah, the ideal scenario is just to narrow down um the the market that you know suits you as a founder as a team, is the culture you're building.
1: It it might also depend on the type of company you have. If you are small like us, you can Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, Others might say, well, there are just so many uh, SaaS companies out there. The market is too small. Well, I don't think so. Uh, um, For us, it's big enough. And then the second part is also, um, it's working for us now. I'm not excluding that we are branching out later, right? I mean, uh, we... For example, we started with uh, only for SaaS on web apps. And since one and a half years, one year maybe, we are also having mobile SDK so that mobile app developers can use Refine as well. And so basically we already branched out. And okay. the next step might be that we go maybe one day into e-commerce or something else. Um, but we do it one step after the other and we're First, I want to nail the web app SaaS thing. Then, now we are working on the mobile, and then let's see later what, what can be done with I don't know, uh, service on Shopify or whatever. I mean, let, let's see, right?
0: Right, I'm, I'm not excluding
1: yeah. it, but it's one step after the other.
0: Cool, okay. And I want to come back to uh, to what you said at the very beginning, um, about building with an exit in mind. So, you thought you mm-hmm. that would be your model. So, yeah. what about Refiner? Uh, are you um, building it to sell? Are you?
1: Right now, not. Um, like uh, when I first started out, it was the idea. Um, then in the meantime, uh, it just took way longer than I expected <laughs> to, to grow. Uh, and right now, I feel like it's there's just so much more to do. And um, it's working well. It feels like... Um, I don't know. I, you you guys have better data on that. Uh, if it's a good time to sell or not, but right now, like there's also one parameter in there. Um, we were raising uh, 200k um, US dollars with Calm Company Fund, which is a bootstrapper friendly uh, fund. But still, because we were raising, uh, it means that the project becomes uh, automatically more ambitious. So. If you don't take any venture capital or any outside money, you can basically sell at a valuation of 50,000 and you are happy because you just build a little product and you sell it for 50,000. Uh, once you take money, uh, that's not possible anymore because, um, well, first of all, yeah, your investor kind of hopes to get a multiple of, let's say, whatever, five or ten but also you as a founder, uh, there's just a math going on that I say, okay, I was investing three years of my time, plus a lot of, uh, initial investment plus this, this, and this, and this, that right now, it wouldn't make any sense to sell it. Right. Uh, um, so there's also this, which is definitely something to, um, consider, but then uh, apart from all this, I'm, I'm quite happy with how things are going right now. So there's no immediate need and, uh, Let's see what the future brings, right? um,
0: Right, sure. No, all the best. I mean, it looks like you're definitely, definitely fully involved and uh, in love with what you're doing, so that's (laughs) perfect. But um, okay, just a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and first one is uh, the usual question that everyone gets. What's the, um, so far, the biggest win and the biggest failure? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Well, I think I touched on that before. The biggest failure was uh, in the beginning where I was developing a software solution which uses surveys to qualify leads and um, it was very esoteric. It was something I made up in my mind and I spent one and a half years on it and after one and a half years I realized that well, while there can be a market, nobody's really asking for it. And I uh, also build a product which is difficult to sell because it's a kind of enterprise software and I'm more like an inbound marketing guy. And mm-hmm. um so, yeah, I spent, even though I have like experience in building companies, I spent one and a half years doing stuff nobody's interested in, right? Um So then that would be in the trajectory of refiner failure, but then brings us also to one of the biggest wins, which was first of all, uh, doing the pivot, launching the product and then exploring what's happening. And then one year later, uh, niching down on uh, not really SaaS, but what we were niching down is like people who want to survey logged in users where you know the user ID of the user. Mm-hmm. um because like what people actually want to do is they want to know who answered the survey and then maybe send an automated campaign afterwards uh saying okay you uh, rated it as this and that if you want to re- leave a review or um, match the survey responses with usage data so that they can say uh, people using this feature regularly are more happy than people who are not using this feature regularly stuff like this so basically we were niching down on we said we are niching down on sas but what we were actually niching down was uh uh software uh, vendors who want to um survey locked in users so uh this and this work was done together with nicola um Merousse. he's a freelance consultant here in france and so basically uh, it was a long project where we Analyzed the market, or he analyzed a lot the market, um, uh, reducing the knowledge of pain points and all this kind of stuff, and looking at the competitors. And then we took the decision that we want to go for it. We wrote and he wrote a new website. Uh, we implemented the new website. So there was kind of a four to five months period where we said, "Okay, let's make it clean. We have this product, we have this market. Let's." Let's try to package it in a way. And um, that was definitely the, the, the biggest win to take the time, not too early because it was not theoretical. It was uh, based on what we had, right? We, we were just, had, we had the MVP, we had the first customers, we had something going on, but then not just blindly continuing, but then mm-hmm. taking the time and package it in the right way. Um, that was definitely a good win, yeah.
0: Oh, all right. It sounds like a win. All right, and uh, the last question is about trends. Uh, Everyone's talking about AI. Why don't we? Uh, Mm. So, uh, what do you think about it? Are you going to branch out with an AI solution, or you Mm. implement it inside, or maybe you think you know it's not not for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I for the first time in my career, I'm feeling old (laughs) when I look at like, I mean, I did AI in, during my studies, I, uh, actually wrote my master thesis on neural networks, but, um, it's not on the same level at all, what, for what's happening today. And I don't understand how this can work. Um, but it's fascinating. And in our case, there's actually a use case where you have, um, uh, all the survey responses, and then you want to have chat uh, GTP make a recap of it or write, reduce all the thousands of responses into uh, i don't know a couple of bullet points and um it's definitely not something we're gonna implement ourselves. but what we want to do is add apis or whatever who can then uh analyze the server responses so it's definitely relevant for us um uh, it's not something blocking at the moment it feels like you know like uh it's already a couple of years that there is the technology of sentiment analysis uh, and a lot of our competitors have it and it was never working really well because it only works uh, in English more or less. And when as soon as you have some kind of sarcasm in it or uh, some kind of expressions, which are not that common, it, it, it fails. Right. And so we never really went uh, for it. And, uh, but I feel like today with jet GTP, we are entering, a completely new um, era where it would definitely make sense for us to to look into that.
0: Okay, so exciting mm-hmm. to see if uh, if and how yeah. uh, you're going to to leverage it for, for yeah, I China. just need
1: to get rid of the support and paying the invoices, okay? <laughs> so that I can have some time looking into that.
0: It's just yeah. you and Chad GTP. We're
1: gonna figure it out until the <laughs> yes. end.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, a lot of founders now think that it's possible, so you know, why not try? Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, well, Moritz, it's been uh, amazing uh, listening to you and hearing your story. Uh, I cool. think you've got uh, a lot figured out, and uh, still a little, maybe a lot to uh, to go on to. Yeah. So um, I'll make sure to keep an eye on it, and mm-hmm. you know, invite you again next year. <laughs>
1: yeah, would be nice. Cool. cool. All yeah, right, you. and
0: you know, if you're ever uh, on the road to selling it. I are. know. Yeah, <laughs> I. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm waiting for. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for an email from Dirk, and I guess he will contact me <laughs> soon. Yes, yes, yeah. he will. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, and uh, you know, if anybody from the audience wants to to talk to you, to ask that, you how Refiner works, how do they find you?
1: Uh, I think Twitter would be the best. Uh, it's uh, M dowsinger That's M D A U S I N G E R. Uh, or on LinkedIn, I guess okay. you can find me there as well. Right.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the chat.
1: Yeah. Thank you Anna. was a, a pleasure. Thank,
0: thank you. you. Have care. a good day. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at at anna.sas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, Feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.